Take the usual podcast hosting companies and you'll stay in expensive wonderland. Take the podcast of Matrix hosting and you'll experience a completely different world of whole podcast library hosting. Choose wisely at podcastmatrix.com. That's podcastmatrix.com. Are you troubled by pop culture references you don't understand? Just trying to figure out a good jumping on point in a long running comic series keep you up at night? Have you or your friends or family seen a comic book based movie, TV show, or cartoon and not known what was going on? If the answer is yes, then this is the podcast for you. My Big Fat Pull List. Our assembly of knowledgeable hosts are eager to help answer all your comic book based pop culture questions. We're ready to geek out with you. Horror comics are a staple in the industry. Monsters, ghouls, zombies, vampires, they're everywhere in beautiful, bright, splattered gore and crimson carnage. Over the decades, the characters appearing in horror comics have captured the imaginations of readers and gathered a following stronger than any cult leader. It's because of that devotion we here at the Pull List have decided to pay tribute to these creatures of the night. Count down with us as we pick our 10 key characters in horror comics. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of my big fat pull list. I am Mr. X. With me in the studio tonight is... Smurfy. And Dr. Impact. Tonight is a spooky, spooky night. We are going to be covering 10 key characters in horror comics. But before we do that, we really want to ask folks... Do you want to help support my big fat pull list? Well, I yes. know I do. Oh, I mean other people. Yes. Right, right. Other oh, people, yes, not yes. not you two specifically. Oh, but right. I want other people to help us. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, we would like <laughs> other people to help us. Exactly. How can people do that? How can they help us? Glad you asked, Doctor Impact. You're welcome. We have a Patreon page. Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. My Big Fat Pull List has a Patreon page. And on our Patreon page, we have some great incentives to offer anybody willing to become a patron to our show. And there will be a link in the show notes to this episode that will take you straight to it. You can peruse. It's got a great video, a lot of information, a little bit of humor, because it's us. Because we're not all that funny, really, when you think about it. We're, we're kind of bland. Well, certainly not intentionally. Anyway. <laughs> not unless we've taken our medication. Yes. And speaking of Patreon, while we're on the subject, I am very proud and happy to announce our very first patron. Brad W. has joined the Legion. Well, the beginning of the Legion, anyway, of fans who will uh, one day hopefully support us on Patreon at the $5 level. So not only does he get a shout-out, which he's getting right now on the podcast, shout-out to Brad W., but he'll also get shout-outs on our social media and on the actual Patreon page. But he also gets the exclusive button and magnet. You're a big fan of the button and magnet, aren't you, Smurf? I love magnets and buttons. 
If you want to be just like Smurfy, head on over to our Patreon and join at the $5 tier or wherever you'd like to go and land yourself some buttons and magnets. Well, enough self-adulation. Let's get to what we came here to talk about. Horror comic books are extremely popular. Yes. And we are a comic book pop culture-based podcast, so we should be talking about this. And it doesn't matter if it's during the month of October for Halloween or February for Valentine's Day. Horror is, in my mind, all year round. And there have been some very interesting characters that have popped up in horror comic books throughout the years. Now, we're not going to take you on a handheld trip through comic books history of horror comics. That's a totally different podcast. But what we do need to talk about is how there were certain stipulations put in place. We've talked about it on the show before. Superman, Batman, the, the heroes that we know and love today, back then... They straight up killed people. Yeah. They killed bad guys because they could get away with it. You didn't have yeah. to worry about it. And it wasn't until the 1950s, about 1954, that the Comics Code was created. And this put an end to all of the popular horror comic books of the time. Tales from the Crypts. Yeah. Vault of Horror. And it, and it's interesting that you bring that up, Mr. X, because, you know, that, that spins directly out of The Seduction of the Innocent. Yes. Which is, you know, of course, the... Dr. Wortham. Yes, Frederick Wortham and his his attack on comic books and saying that comic books were, were directly, the result of yeah, directly del- related to delinquency. Delinquency and teenagers. and teenagers, even homosexuality. Yes, and while he blamed all comics in general... The EC, not to be confused with DC, but the EC comics like Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror, those were his primary targets. Right, yeah. If you go back and look at some of those old Tales from the Crypts and that, their their art for the 1950s is pretty dark. Yeah. And pretty heavy. What makes um, it so great. Which makes it great, yeah. yeah. But yeah, he went after them, and, and so that comics could continue publishing and things could continue moving forward, you know, yeah, the, the Comics Code was a direct result of that. You know, one of these days we're going to have to do an episode on the seduction of the innocent. We keep bringing it up. We keep bringing it up, and I think I think especially some of our younger yeah. audience yeah. listeners need to really know the history of what could have stayed in place. I mean, we could be reading very stale and stagnant yeah. comics right now if things hadn't changed. And they did. They did they eventually did. loosen up in the early 70s, like around 1971. The restrictions loosened up on the comics codes, and you were actually able to do more horror stuff. Before, with the comics codes, you couldn't do vampires. You couldn't do zombies. You couldn't do werewolves, the traditional werewolf stuff like that. Boring. Exactly. But by 71, things had loosened up a little bit, and we were able to have some more colorful characters. For this episode, you will not find any characters on our list that were previously introduced through a different medium. It has to be comic books. So... Anybody expecting us to talk about Ash Williams from the Evil Dead slash Army of Darkness series? He's not on this list. Why? He was a movie character first. Anybody expecting us to talk about Bram Stoker's Dracula or Mary Shelley's Frankenstein? Nope, they're not, not going to be, be here. here yeah, because they were books. Yeah, Frankenstein is semi-popular in both DC and the Marvel Universe. Uh, two very drastic characters, but they are the Frankenstein monster. And I'm not sure 
how often they use Dracula in DC, but I know Dracula is a main player in the supernatural aspects of the Marvel Universe. Or for any of you who are wondering, where's Sam and Dean from Supernatural? <sighs> TV show first, yep. Yep. comic book second. Or any of you fans of the Resident Evil series, that came about as a video game first, mm-hmm. then went to movies, then comics. Yeah. So they also are yep. eliminated from this list. Not on this list. Right. But everybody else is fair game. So let's jump in to talking about the 10 key characters in horror comics. Number 10, Swamp Thing. Now, Swamp Thing is a character that I love, being a DC Comics guy. My first introduction to him, I don't know about you guys, but my first introduction to Swamp Thing actually was the television series, the live-action TV show. Oh, on USA? Yeah, with, uh, what was his name, Dirk? uh, Dirk Braddock? Dirk Braddock, I think, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, now, an awesome after, what an awesome name. after having seen that, I then went back and watched the movies. But I actually saw the TV show first. See, I'm um, opposite. I saw the, the movie, the Wes Craven film the, first. The original film, yeah. And then when there was a TV show, and I was, I'm like, oh, yeah. Movie For whatever first. reason, I didn't see the movie. I saw the TV show. And, of course, I was a big fan of the cartoon as well. That um, short-lived cartoon. short-lived cartoon. I was a fan yeah. of the action figures that so came from I, that from the, cartoon. Yeah, I had a bunch of them, too, yeah. But they all pretty much follow the same basic idea. You know, Alec Holland, the scientist who is working on a top-secret chemical in the marshlands. After a bomb goes off and explodes, he's murdered, or so we are led to believe. In his place becomes the Swamp Thing, which is a creature of vegetation that has, you want to call it absorbed or melded with, or however you want to put it, Holland's memories, personality, and I think what is incredibly important there is his his pain. Mm, yeah. So not, to, so not to interrupt you, but like, so he's there's not like a person under underneath all that. Not, so I'm not unfamiliar with these characters. Not exactly. Okay. I mean, there, there is in the sense that the mind and the emotion. Well, right. But I'm saying if you took a quote like unquote an axe soul and chopped his arm off, you're just chopping off moss and branches. Essentially. Yes. And he could just remake that. Yeah. Cool. He just yeah, kind of like okay. yeah regrow it. Yeah. I don't know that you could regrow another Swamp Thing from his arm. No, no, no. You're right. But, it, it, know, it doesn't regenerate. I'm possibly, just saying, it's you, possible. you could, depending on, because the, the, the origin changed. Yeah. Depending on who was writing Well, and again, you're book. talking about DC Comics, you know. I mean, the character was in DC proper starting in 1972. Actually, Lynn Wein, who, who created Wolverine, uh, yes. or co-created Wolverine, I should say, and the great Bernie Wrightson. Mm-hmm. They're credited with creating Swamp Thing, and he was part of DC Comics proper until Vertigo came around, in which case they sort of quietly moved him out. This was after Crisis, and he was no longer really part of DC. He was part of Vertigo. But then when they started bringing the Vertigo characters back, I want to say that was around Infinite Crisis maybe, maybe Mm -hmm. Final Crisis, somewhere around there. Yeah. That's when they started moving him back in, and yeah. so he's moved in and out, and I think currently he's he's very much a mainstay in the DC Rebirth stuff. His origin has kind of been retconned over the years, but the biggest influence and the biggest, I guess, let's say, changes or effect that has been given and made to the character Swamp Thing really comes from Alan Moore. Yeah. yeah I mean, Alan when- Moore... Lin Wynn recreates a pre-existing, just throwaway character that yeah. appeared 
in House of Secrets issue 92. Yeah. That was yeah. in July of 1971. And it was just this, ooh, it's the Swamp Thing. And it was just a cool look. I think and, it was just like a horror story. Yeah, it was yeah. just a like a Tales from the Crypt right. monster story. And, and because the, the the look was cool, they came up with this, okay, scientist merges with the bog. Mm-hmm. So it is a scientist inside the body of, of this stuff. But when we get to the second series, which was actually called the Saga, the saga of, yeah. of Swamp Thing, that's uh, halfway through, I would say, Saga of Swamp Thing around issue 20. And that's when Alan Moore comes yep. along. And that's when everything changes Everything for changes for Swamp Thing. He becomes more of a, an, like an elemental. He He's the protector of the green. There is no Alec Holland really inside of him. It's just the memory, a remnant, right. a ghost, if you yeah. will, of Alec Holland. That was, that was almost helped use to bring this creature to life. Right, right. Um, almost, I guess if you want to look at it from a horror angle, it's almost like taking the brain and putting it in Frankenstein's right. monster. Yeah. The body is no longer anything in particular, but it has that brain. Swamp and, Thing could talk, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Communicate. Oh, yeah, okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think over the years he's had various different kinds of psychic powers. I, I don't I don't know that he has any currently. Powers of oh, from the Rebirth basically stuff that he fade from and, right. I mean he's always had the ability to control the plant life right. around yes, him. I knew that right. And yeah. then depending on who's writing him, he could control the plant life all plant life oh, okay. on Earth. Right. Because he is the protector of Earth. the green. Right. Yeah. Right. But he's he's a he's always been one of my favorite characters and I know that I've I've mentioned this to you, Mister X, but I'm going to say it again so that Smurfy can hear it because I think yeah. I think he would be interested too. And for any listeners out there, if you have not checked out the current run of Justice League Dark that is going on right now during this whole year of the villain thing, I think they're up to issue 18 or 19 as mm. of as of this recording, roughly. Swamp Thing is a member of that team, and it it is fantastic, and he is awesome yeah. in it. Uh, I can't recommend that book enough. Number nine, Man-Thing. There is something about Man-Thing that has intrigued me, and I think it all stems from a joke. Uh, uh, It was a X-Men documentary I was watching. Uh, It was a documentary that they released with the DVD release of X3, The Last Stand. Hmm. Uh, it was this nice little hour and a half long where they, they, they go back, they talk to the creators, and they walk through the stories, briefly touch upon you know stuff like the Dark Phoenix and things like that. They talk about how the X-Men, the, the international team of X-Men, were introduced in giant size X-Men number one. So Len Wein starts talking about it. It was like Marvel was doing everything giant size. There was giant size X-Men, you know, giant size Avengers. Hell, the worst title they could ever come up with was Giant Size Man-Thing. Okay, that right there resonated in my little head. I was like, that is hilarious. (laughs) So hilarious, in fact, that uh, in our civilian guys, we actually wrote and and produced a movie called Four Color Eulogy, and we actually use that joke during, during a scene between two comic geeks. They're going back and forth. Yeah, the film was heavily centered around comic collecting and friends and family that collect comics. So yeah. so we had a lot of scenes that took place in a comic shop. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. We... There there's an argument that is that is <laughs> that that ends the punchline of this argument is 
you've been trying to get your hands on my giant size man thing for years. <laughs> See? It's funny. And incidentally, I think after after shooting that scene, I think you and I both went out we, and bought ourselves a copy of Giant Size Man Thing we Number One. Shooting. I remember. Oh, it was we, before. We, okay. I found okay. my copy while we were still location scouting because I brought oh, it along. Oh, that's right. You brought it to the set. Yeah. And then, of course, for like three years, I have been haunted by Giant Size Man Thing jokes from yep. anybody that yep. was involved in that movie. Check out the movie and you'll you'll see the joke. Yeah, but we'll, we we'll have a link to Four Color Eulogy and where you can watch it and where you can order it in the show notes to this episode so the the mysterious origin of man thing uh dr ted salas is attempting to recreate the super soldier serum and you, we all know that the super soldier serum is the same thing that created captain america right we're all we're all on the same page there what? and a whole bunch of other characters <laughs> well, yes <laughs> but it started right with captain america ted is betrayed by his lover and has to go on the run because he's got he's got spies after him. I mean, they they want the formula. So to protect the formula from getting into the wrong hands, he actually injects himself with it and destroys all evidence. But he because that always goes that so always well. goes always so well. well. It's it's the number one plan for all of this stuff. But actually, if you look at all of you know the the great horror monsters in history, half yeah. of them. I mean, the Invisible Man. That's that's basically it's science go wrong. Jekyll and Hyde. I you want to let me experiment on anybody? I'll Fine, do it to myself. I'll do it to myself. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. So here he is. He's got the serum in him, but but he crashes into the Florida Everglades swamps and apparently drowns. But he is secretly transformed into a swamp creature through the combination of his formula, and as we learn later on, when they decide to add something interesting to the character to make him different than a certain other character with certain <laughs> similar properties other things from the swamp anyway <laughs> uh, wink wink nudge <laughs> yeah. nudge magical forces that exist in the area uh, he actually absorbs the nexus of reality and he gains the ability to spontaneously combust those who no fear will burn at the touch of the man thing I mean, which is cool and all, because mm -hmm. you know, like most people, but but even somebody that's good is going to see this thing and go like, "Oh crap, I'm scared!" And yeah, well, he doesn't talk either. No, that's unlike that's, Swamp right. Thing, Where's Man just, Thing like, he, cannot really communicate, and he looks way more hideous than Swamp Thing. He does, yeah, he does. So in fact, for yes. anyone who hasn't seen him, that's the difference. Like he looks terrifying. And technically speaking, there's there's been a great debate about who came first, Swamp Thing or Man Thing. Well, Man-Thing was created by writers Stan Lee, Roy Thomas, and Jerry Conway, and artist Gray Morrow. And the character first appears in Savage Tales No. 1, which came out in May of 1971, two months before the issue of House of Secrets came out that had the generic Swamp Thing. So, Man-Thing came a first. Now, did you ever see the Man Thing movie? I have not. Oh Lord, was it okay? Never mind. <laughs> Please go oh, on. Oh my God! <laughs> Please. So let, let us let all. us all remember this is this is during the time Marvel was not owned by a company that knew how to make movies, or at least superhero movies. Their their live action remakes of the classic animation stuff is well, that's neither here nor there. So this, this is this is the Electra time frame. Got it. Uh, this is not even, it, it wasn't even a theatrical release. 
It was a made-for-cable television. Oh, he was better. Sci-Fi Channel, right? Wasn't Sci-Fi oh, Channel. Better. Yeah, I so. Amazing. Yeah, and they, the whole premise was pure horror. You hardly ever saw the creature, but it was more of a ancient entity that existed in the swamps and had some connection to the native tribe that existed. Wow, so they kind of just did their own thing. I, well, yeah. Because well, Man- really is a good guy, isn't he? He's supposed he's to be a good guy. A, well, he's... Our anti... I guess anti-hero? Not even an anti-hero. He's, he just exists. Interesting. You, we don't really know if he's good or bad, because like I just said, he, th- those who know mm-hmm. fear burn mm-hmm. at the touch of the man thing. And even if you're a good person, oh, if you, okay. you might be mm-hmm. afraid of this thing. Daredevil, he's fine, because he's he the man without see. fear. Right. Oh, that too. Well, right. <laughs> but he's the man without fear. <laughs> Now, of course, Man-Thing went on to be featured in various titles and in his own series, including uh, Adventures into Fear, which personally changed my life because it introduced the character of Howard the Duck. Uh, Steve Gerber's 39-issue run on the series is considered to be a cult classic, and I highly agree. I say you have most of them, don't you, or do you have it all? I don't have them all. Hmm. I have most. Uh, I also have... Almost all appearances of Howard the Duck, but again, we're talking about horror mm-hmm. comics. <laughs> I remember Man Thing being in Thunderbolts, and it, yes, was ter- yeah. it was terrific. He was her teleporter. Yeah, he was that the was with all the bad those. guys, yeah. and they were all like, "Do we trust this thing? No, don't look at it. Just wait for him to teleport." Well, yet. don't look at it. Don't touch <laughs> like, it. Don't, don't touch be it. afraid yeah. of it. And they're like, "Yeah." yeah. So I remember one of the guys, I forget what his name was, was just like, "Then what do I do?" They're like, "Just stand there. Just yeah, and wait. <laughs> just stand there and think happy thoughts." Yeah. Yeah, that was fantastic. When they they the whole nexus of reality things, I think was introduced, and and this is just me speculating, but I believe that the whole nexus of reality stuff was a way for them to be able to do wacky, I don't want to say else worlds, but kind of what if scenarios in a self contained area before every Tom, Dick, and Harry had the ability to transport to another reality. But again, that's just that's just me thinking. It, if you know exactly why Man Thing is the guardian of the nexus of realities, let us know by heading over to our website at mybigfatpolis.com. Fill out the contact form and tell us what you know about Man Thing. Right now, Man Thing. Well, there's actually a miniature version that's hmm. appearing in uh, the Avengers comic. Uh, they're they're actually calling it Boy Thing. <laughs> Oh my god! They are because well, it's it's right, tinier, it's small. Uh, right? This the, this group thing. of vampires had it and were using it as their their teleporter hmm. until Blade comes along, joins the Avengers, they defeat the vampires, and, and now like, it's oh. Blade's kind of like sidekick buddy. That's awesome. Now I want to read that. Kind of sits right. on his shoulder. Does it really? Like, like a pair? No. Really? It is kind of cool. That's awesome. It's, it's so, ridiculous, it's so small, but so it's, it's like kind of cool. Of like a hand. It's, it's like, a little bit bigger than so a hand. It's like a parrot, but it's like a monkey. Teleport. Like like somebody's yeah. got a like, like you know one so of the fan- and with blade. Oh, <laughs> and with blade. You better yes. not be teasing me about this. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I swear, it better be real. If I go find Anytime out this fake. Somebody, I'm be really somebody upset. threatens boy thing. He's like, you better not be messing with my boy. As he sits on the shoulder. Like this. Well, no. Sometimes he doesn't always sit on the shoulder. No, he better. <laughs> <laughs> better be safe. <laughs> right. Number eight. Werewolf by night. Victim of an ancient family curse, Jack Russell struggled for years with his bestial alter ego, but over time has conquered his inner demons. Now he fights the dark forces that plague our world. 
So I'll be honest, I've never heard of this guy. Which is weird, because you yep. read Marvel comics. Yeah, a lot of them. It's just, he's never shown up in any of Anything, the ones that you've read. Yeah. Well, he's not used as much as... He should be. As, well, Man-Thing, or like you mentioned earlier, Dracula, or some of the other horror-based right. characters that, that Marvel has. I mean... Marvel he goes through phases. They do. do. Using horror comic they do, characters. But, but, and then they disappear for a while. Kind of like, like magic users. Also, be very mm, magic yeah. heavy based. And they're like, get rid of that. Let's go like supernatural based. Get rid of yeah. that. And now we'll go back to. But robots. Werewolf by Night only kind of shows up in, in annuals now or, or special things. I, I don't remember. He's actually the in. The last time he had a book. He, not a solo book, but he's actually in Black Panther and the Agents of Wakanda right now. Oh, he is. He is an agent of Wakanda. Okay. Okay. Yeah, very interesting. First appearing in Marvel Spotlight number two, published in February of 1972, where Wolf by Night was based on an idea by Roy Thomas. The great Roy Thomas. The great Roy Thomas. The guy that created the vision. Mm -hmm. See, that's where I lack with comic knowledge. I, if you're like, who created the vision? <laughs> mm, no idea. Now tell you all, do. Yeah, but, but now I can you tell do. You, right. I can tell all Vision's powers and everything else about the Vision, but who created him? No idea. Who created Vision? Stan yeah. Lee. Mm -hmm. Who created right. Wolverine? Stan, Stan Lee. Lee. Right. See, Marvel's <laughs> who easy. Who created Superman? <laughs> right. Stan, Stan Lee. Lee. Right. <laughs> who created Batman? Also, weirdly, Stan Lee. Stan Lee. <laughs> Speaking of Stan Lee, the series name was suggested by him. Funny that enough. Makes, makes sense. Right. And the initial creative team was Jerry Conway and Mike Plug, who worked from a plot by Roy and Gene Thomas for the first issue. After a test run of the character in Marvel Spotlight number two through four, he graduated his own series in September 1972. Werewolf by Night was published for 43 issues and ran through March 1977. You know, I, I, sitting here and, and talking about Werewolf by Night and, and hearing, you know, Smurfy go through, you know, all the details about it, it, it really does kind of make me want to go back and try and find a trade or you know i, I really there are kind trades of and omnibuses they've put together yeah yeah there's there's a lot of stuff available out there you also notice that a lot of this stuff happened in the early 70s mm -hmm. as soon as mm -hmm. the comics codes loosened yeah so the 70s was the especially the early 70s was the resurgent of the horror character mm -hmm. monster character to show up in comics let's or, be honest without like with the code we're gonna do have him turn to a puppy Right. Yeah, right. that's true. Terrifying. Yeah. No, you need something's gonna like maul people up. Pound puppy by mid afternoon. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> sleepy by lunchtime. Like well, <laughs> let us not let us not forget the the character's name is Jack Russell. Right. Yeah. But if you <laughs> Which talk, I thought was really funny. I but if like, you hmm. talk to the creators at the time, it was not named after a dog. It was not named after oh, the breed of dog. Right. Oh. They had no idea yeah. that there was a breed of dog <laughs> yeah. because he had grown up without ever having a dog. So oh, it was wow. kind of like okay. one of those weird coincidences. What, nice. If you want to believe the story. Sure, sure, I don't sure. know. I'm, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to go with it. <laughs> I'm not. You're not. I'm calling BS. <laughs> Issue number 32, August 1975, contains the first appearance of the Moon Knight. Now that's a pretty big deal. Another character that walks the line between dealing with supernatural stuff and then just plain up vigilantism, depending on who's writing the character. Yeah, and, and more recently, obviously, walking that line between the more mystical, mythical mm. magic line of various different gods and and pantheons that, that it can tie into. Because Moon Knight's a schizo, right? Well, he, yeah, yeah, that's a technical that's a, term. That's a, that's a way to put <laughs> it. Uh, way to be sensitive to his, his conditions, <laughs> but Smurfy. He's, he's if I PG remember term? right, okay. connected somehow to the, the god, and I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce this, Khonshu 
or something. Uh, an Egyptian an, god Egyptian, of night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. Which is something that you really don't see a lot of, of, of the anymore. Egyptian gods being focused no, on. No, no. Not in Marvel. Yeah, it's it's interesting that a character that who who went very much the superhero tights route in the 80s and 90s and has gone back to a darker feel gets his start in a horror comic yeah. in the 70s. And you know, your name is Moon Knight and you're in the book Werewolf by Night. So I mean, yes, thank you 70 early 70s Marvel for your tongue in cheek. We do appreciate it. I I'm really looking forward, comic book-wise, to the futures of both characters, Werewolf by Night, Jack Russell, and Mood Knight. I would really like to see Marvel Studios do something with both. Number seven, Cassie Hack. Cassandra Cassie Hack is the lone survivor of an attack by a slasher called The Lunch Lady, a slasher that happens to be her own mother. (gasps) Now she travels the world with her monstrous partner and friend, Vlad, hunting down and destroying slashers wherever they find them. Now, I I have to be honest this time. This is one that I am not familiar with. Mm -hmm. I know of it, and I have certainly seen plenty of the books, but I don't know if I've ever even flipped through a Hack Slash comic. And I... I have flipped through just about everything, but yeah, I think yeah, I, yeah. I've probably this one I, has escaped me. We sold at the shop, mm-hmm. and uh, occasionally flipped through to see if it was interesting, but it just never, never really caught my eye. Because mm. I didn't, I guess, because I never really knew what it was about. I saw it was called Hack Slash, and I was and normally the cover was a girl with like an axe, so I was just right. like, okay. Well, it's uh, it was put out by Devil's Due, and depending on what shop you're at, sometimes some shops just didn't carry. A lot of devils do publications. DDP? But <laughs> now, I too have heard of the character, but I wasn't actually introduced to her until the there was a crossover. She showed up in a miniseries with Ash Williams. Yeah, the Army I of Darkness that. comic had a lot of crisscross intersection yeah. with other horror comic characters over the years. And. Hack Slash was was one of them. It was actually during a time where, uh, and I I don't mean to spoil the story for anybody, especially if you you do decide to go forward and want to look for Hack Slash comics. But uh, there evidently was a time where Cassie's partner Vlad wasn't around anymore, whether he was dead mm. or not. So she was riding solo during the story with Ash, which kind of makes sense because you know put Ash with a, a duo. And yeah. you kind of lose the yeah. Yeah. lose the thing because Cassie is a scantily clad, uh, someone called goth girl. So of course you've got Ash yeah. constantly hitting on her because uh, that's what Ash does, right? But now the book itself, the Hack Slash comic. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Mister X. But that that actually premiered a number of years prior to that. Oh yeah, I want to say like in 2004. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was created by. Uh, Tim Seeley, he was the writer and occasional penciler on the book. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't an ongoing at all. It was actually a series of one-shots oh, interesting. and minis oh, okay. before it finally got the the big ongoing treatment. And is the ongoing still ongoing? No. Technically, there was one ongoing, and then I want to say it stopped and started a volume two of an ongoing, then... Stopped altogether, 
and most recently, I want to say that there was like a resurgence. It was actually called Hack Slash Resurrection mm. that brought the character back for more. And I, I don't think that book is currently running. It might still be. Okay. It, it I, again, I, I don't know. But after doing the research mm-hmm. to compile this list and stopping on Cassie, I want to get my hands on some of those omnibuses because. It sounds right up my alley. I've always thought that the concept was very interesting. Now, I I don't recall, Smurfy, I don't recall having looked through them at the shop. I don't know if maybe it was days I wasn't there or maybe during those years that I didn't work with you guys. But We didn't have a lot of them in. It's like one issue, two issues. Oh, okay. So if you weren't there early Wednesdays, they were gone by Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So who knows what would have happened there, but if I was around for it or not. But yeah, I've always kind of been interested, and because there have always been miniseries and one-shots, I never really knew, where do you start? Where do you start, right. How does right. it go? But but knowing that there are omnibuses out there, that, that's Trade paperbacks and omnibuses, yeah. yeah. Normally the, issue one is a good start. Oh, oh well, thanks. yes, is but that, if it's not called issue one, if it's <laughs> if it's a one-shot, if it's a miniseries, sometimes true. it's a little bit I mean, hard. True. That's true, too. But luckily enough, you know, there is the internet, and they don't lie completely on the internet. We'll put links to where you can find copies of the trade paperbacks and omnibuses for Hackslash in the show notes for this episode on our website. The thing that really got me about the concept of this is that Cassie survives an attack mm-hmm. from a serial killer or slasher, mm-hmm. and that's what they're called in the, the universe is any masked maniac killer is referred to as slasher. That's why it's called Hack, because she's Cassie Hack. Right. Slash. I love the tongue-in-cheek title. And then when you look into the character, uh, you actually find out that Celie has stated over and over and over again that even though Cassie is a badass, she's this survivor girl. But really deep down, uh, she's a lost, scared, innocent kid who had to grow up way too quickly. Mm. So that right there adds a whole nother layer to what could just be a very generic sure. bloodbath comic book. Sure. And from what I found out, uh, between 2005 and 2007, they had a series of one-shots, uh, and then a couple of miniseries, and then they got the ongoing. And the ongoing included crossovers with some very prominent horror characters, like Evil Ernie, now, see, I remember when that came out. I did not realize that that was part of the ongoing. Hmm. Maybe they separated it into story arcs. Yeah, I have no idea because, I, like I said, I have very little right. exposure or experience with the book. But, um, but I do remember that. And I remember, and I, I've always had a, a great Evil Ernie comic mm-hmm. uh, where Evil Ernie goes up against all of the monsters throughout movie history at this point whacked out amusement park and, oh, that and sounds it's, the, fun. it's the only evil ernie book i've ever read but i always thought it was an interesting character and i always thought it would be really cool to see him in something else like this right yeah i had no idea that that was part of an ongoing well they evidently crossed over with chucky oh as wow in chucky the killer from the child's do- okay. play yeah wow. the okay. doll wow. and herbert west reanimated oh wow. wow now see i don't know if it's the movie version which is my personal favorite sure it seems like comic books always go for the safe bet go for the public domain book character and he's always a little bit different because that's the source material i prefer the films where herbert west was portrayed by the great actor jeffrey combs but you know that's just me right 
So yeah, I'm definitely on board to track down some hack slash comics to give it a give it a read. Number six, Morbius, the living vampire. And you have to have that the living vampire when the character, well, when the character was introduced, there was still a lot of, oh, you got a vampire? We still really don't like vampires. So to get away with it, you put the living vampire. So you can do all the vampire shit, but you get away, you, you sneak past the comics code by having that word living, and I, I love the loopholes because it does make the character slightly different than all the other horror-based characters, especially in the Marvel Universe. Now, my first exposure to Morbius was actually the animated Spider-Man cartoon in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was actually, it was almost a, a whole season, was like this big story arc, Neogenics Nightmare where the mutation that Spider-Man was going through was going out of control. He was growing extra arms. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. was turning into the man right. spider. Right. Mm-hmm. And during this story, and I'm sure that they probably took a little bit of it from the actual comic book stories, but during this, while he's in college, he's tasked to, uh, by Doc Connors, mm. who is the lizard, for, for those that don't know, uh, the, all the class has to do a genetics experiment. And one of the people in his class is Michael Morbius. And he ends up going through a very similar process as to the one in the comic books. Is His is all about blood. Uh, he's from a Romanian country, so he has that, oh, I have an accent. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, thank you, Bella. <laughs> <laughs> he ends up, his experiment goes awry, and he becomes a living vampire. Now, on a, a kid's cartoon show, instead of the, the fangs biting into the neck, what they did on the cartoon, Morbius had these weird suction cup things on his hands. That represented. Wow, I don't remember that. You, yeah. Oh no, Sucked he would touch the you, out of you and and was the blood. Well, no, no, it was still oh, blood, so blood, but we never said blood. We said plasma. I oh. need your plasma. Oh, I don't remember that. Well, I, mean, again, I remember. I remember seeing cartoon, it in the show, but I don't recall that. Nineties cartoon, that. very cheesy, very watered down. Because mm-hmm. of course, you know, you're mm-hmm. doing it for, for kids. But the actual comic roots. Once Michael Morbius was a world-renowned biochemist, dying of an unknown blood disease and desperately searching for a cure. He found that cure, but in turn, it afflicted him with a curse far worse than any possible disease. The curse of the blood-sucking night beast. The curse of the living vampire. That sounds cool, not lame. Like the cartoon had him had him to be, he's in love with with another chick, Felicia Hardy from the car, the, car, the oh, cartoon, yeah. Oh, yeah. who yeah. would become the black, black cat. cat. Yeah. So, but because he can't trust himself, you know, he goes away, and I can't remember if they brought him back or how many times they brought him back. But that same season introduced Blade hmm. and the whole vampire angle, and then Morbius kind of teamed up with Blade mm-hmm. to be a hero. And I don't know how he was surviving without... Maybe he was drinking vampires. Plasma! (laughs) The character was actually created by writer Roy Thomas. There's that name again. Yep. And originally designed by penciler Gil Kane. 
and the character first appeared as an antagonist in The Amazing Spider-Man 101, published back in October of 1971. And despite his initial status as one of Spider-Man's horror-based rogues, he went on to become a brooding, gritty, tragically flawed anti-hero in his own series and other titles. He was a part of the Midnight Suns, yeah, the I Night Stalkers. Yeah, yeah. In the 90s, there was a lot of the horror stuff. Yeah. And they, they threw With them like all together. like a very superhero angle. Like right. They, they were still the horror characters, but they but really still very amped, amped up the superhero yeah. stuff. On well, again, it's, it's the 90s. Yeah. Uh, and the, the character has appeared in various animated shows like we've talked about and coming soon to for a better or worse. For better or know. worse. Uh, Jared Leto will actually portray the character in a live action film version set in Sony's Spider Verse adjacent. I wonder if he'll Hopefully have. F that up. I wonder if he'll have plasma tattooed on his forehead. He will. Uh, Oh, don't even joke like that, or like a. I don't want that out in the world. Metal fang grill of some sort. He's gonna tattoo you know? his whole face red, like blood. Yeah, 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 yeah. Brilliant. Right. Well, I mean, I've seen some of the, some of the makeup designs, not actual him in makeup, and I'm not really impressed. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I don't I'm, know that I've seen any of that stuff. Yet. I'm not impressed. I mean, maybe it's just an artist renditioning to show to producers, but even that, like, come on, guys. The character look, looks better in the comic books than what you're trying to make him look like or supposedly trying to make him look like in your film. So, I, I, again, I'm, I'm very apprehensive about where this movie is going. But Morbius, the character, he flip-flops. Most of the time they'll like to use him as the bad guy because, well, you know, it's a vampire. So, yeah, right. of course he's going to be a bad guy. But there are a lot of times where they focus on the anti-hero angle, and it's popular, I get it. Uh, Marvel is actually getting ready to release another Morbius ongoing. Yeah, I saw coming that very in soon. solicitation. Yeah. I'll definitely be picking that up just to give it Do you it know a... if that comes out of any particular event, or or, any, or is no it just clue. A, a fresh start? I think, I think it's a fresh start. Because if it's a fresh start, I might check out the first issue. At least the first issue, like. yeah. 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 Number five. Vampirella. Considered a vampire because she needs blood to survive, Vampirella has all of their powers, but none of their weaknesses. Hailing from the planet Draculon. Really? Yeah. Gotta read that again with a straight face. <laughs> <laughs> she was sent to Earth to kill all evil vampires. That's kind of a cool twist. It, it is. And the character has gone through some origin shifting mm-hmm. since her inception. One of the reasons why I love the concept of Vampirella, and I, I haven't read a lot of Vampirella comics. I've, I've read a few. I've definitely read the stuff when she crosses over with another horror character, yeah. uh, Army of Darkness. Again, right? uh, yep, yep. It, Ash Williams He'll will team up, up with anybody. It does he not doesn't matter. Drew her, he doesn't care. They drew her very well. That's the whole. Clothed, that's right. the whole well, point. Yeah, back so then. that's why it makes, came totally makes sense. Ash is going to be like, oh well, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, right. You know, right. Well, the the great thing about it is she was actually created by the great Forrest J. Ackerman. Uncle Forrest. Uncle Forrest. For any of you horror aficionados out there, Uncle Forrest is, in, in, my, in our minds, kind of the Stan Lee of the sci-fi horror B-movie generation of the 50s and 60s. As a matter of fact, in uh, our civilian guys... 
we do another show called Two Guys Talking Horror in which we actually go through the history of horror magazine publications. And Forrest J. Ackerman was huge in the creation of those. So we'll have the link to that episode of Two Guys Talking Horror in the show notes over at our website. But yeah, so yeah, Forrest J. Ackerman, good old Uncle Forey, you know, he was uh, integral in the creation of the character, along with artist Trina Robbins, way back when they were, you know, it was still Warren Publishing. Oh, yeah. Doing the black uh, and white horror magazine. Yep, yep. And I I think it started in Vampirella 1, Mm -hmm. didn't it? Yep, that's where she showed up. It's been around since 1969. 1969, yeah. Yep. And that was, essentially, it was thought of as kind of a... A comic book uh, magazine companion piece yeah. to both Creepy and Eerie, if you've ever heard of those. I, I think Creepy still is publishing today. but And it, it, Creepy and Eerie were very similar to Tales from the Crypt right. and Vault mm-hmm. of Horror. Uncle Creepy and Cousin Eerie were kind of like your horror host for the magazine, and yeah. it was an anthology story. Yeah, they okay. were your anthology keeper or so your yeah, very vault. Much, yeah. And Vampirella right. was was the same concept. A very Elvira. I would say it sounds, it sounds a lot like Elvira. Vampirella in print was your go-between from Vampira, from the old days of mm-hmm. horror hosts back in the 50s, to Elvira when she showed up on the scene in the early 80s. So you so Vampirella is kind of like your your nice go between cuz all three very attractive ladies with plunging necklines. Yeah. The difference is though that unlike Creepy and Eerie, she started getting her own stories. Yeah. Yeah. Where where she even if the book had multiple stories in it, at least one or two of them were focused on her. Yeah, it was like issue eight. They started really was focusing. It, was it issue on, eight yeah. when that started? It was like, okay, so g- give her her own stories, make her kind of a badass. Actually, she is considered like the first badass female in pulp comic. Sit down, Harley Quinn. Yeah, you got, you got nothing on Vampire. <laughs> you, you number two. Yeah, go emancipate yourself somewhere else. Nobody cares. We're all about Vampirella. Now, since then, the character has gone on to have numerous different comic series oh yeah lots Tons. of mini series lots mm-hmm. of ongoings and, and i have to say that <laughs> there was only one until until recently there was only one that i ever picked up and i picked up the first issue of it and boy was i sorry i did that because i thought oh this is going to be a whole new take on vampirella i'm going to check this out because it's something different and weird and new yeah and it was i think it was called vampy Oh, and it was a manga-infused sci-fi weird version of Vampirella as like a teenage girl in the future or something, and oh my god, it was awful. (laughs) Swing and a miss, folks. (laughs) We're not pulling any punches here. (laughs) Yeah, that was was pretty rough, but I have to say that uh, I, I have looked at Vampirella's stuff over the years. I've read some that other people have had and borrowed and what what have you. I actually, today, as of the day of this recording, I picked up my first ever Vampirella comic. Oh, wow. The new Vengeance of Vampirella with Dynamite uh, started up this week. Yeah. With a new number one. And, um, yeah, I don't know. You know, I've always thought the character was interesting. I have no idea if it connects to anything else or if I have to know anything else. Um 
you know, maybe somewhere down the line, I'll I'll give a <laughs> a report on it. But uh, yeah, it's the first Vampirella book that I've ever actually picked up, and it looks it looks really good. And you know, they've got her back in her classic costumes. I know they yeah. tried to switch that around for a little while too. Well, the the whole alien aspect is something that I find interesting where the character's concerned. Yeah, she's it's not very just interesting. A it's not just a vampire yeah, right. chick. Yeah, she's no, an, it's a something... vampire alien. Yeah. For me, the last time I, I picked up a book that had Vampirella in it was... It was Betty and Veronica meets Vampirella and whoever... The Red Sonia. Red Sonia, wasn't it? That's no. the one? Oh, okay. Sorry. It was actually <laughs> Vampirella versus Reanimator. Oh, hmm. sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Written by Cullen Bunn. Oh, I didn't know that. We love talking about Cullen Bunn on this show. In this one, it was also done in black and white. Oh, very e- cool. Except for the Reds... Oh. And the greens. Oh, okay. I'm going to have to track that down. The greens (laughs) of Dr. Herbert West's reagent and the red of Vampirella's outfit and then blood. Hmm. It was very cool. It was very enjoyable and was set very much in the whole sci-fi, horror, Lovecraftian kind of setting. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Number four, Blade. Well, I think that this is probably one of the more famous on this on list. This list. Uh, yeah, um, definitely up there with characters like Swamp Thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I think probably a lot of that is thanks due to the Wesley Snipes films. Definitely, I would, yeah, I would definitely um, say so. That's where I first heard about Blade. At. I think I kind of knew of a character called Blade who fought vampires from. Looking through my dad's old uh, Marvel handbooks mm. from the early '80s, the official yeah. handbook, and I think I recall seeing him in there. And I remember when the movie came out and thinking, "Wait a minute, there's a Marvel comic about that. Is that can't be the same thing, would it? They wouldn't start with Blade, would they?" <laughs> well, evidently they did. For anyone who doesn't know, for the the people out there who have never seen the movies or, or don't know the character very well, Vampire Deacon Frost bit Eric Brooks' mother while she was pregnant with him, which resulted in the birth of a human with all the strengths of a vampire and none of the weaknesses, except for one, a never-ending thirst for human blood. Blade, who they often refer to as the Daywalker, for obvious reasons, has honed his abilities now to hunt down the undead who have long terrorized mankind, usually with the help of Whistler. Mm, Yes, yes. Whistler was like the adopted father figure, yes. and like his microchip to Frank Castle. Like he created the a lot si- of his weapons. The, yes, Psychics, yes, yeah, the, the Alfred yeah, to exactly. Batman. Right. Yeah, yeah. It seems like th- that was like a theme. A theme. It, it right. was a theme. You know, characters needed to have that support character so that it wasn't just them monologuing or doing the interior monologue, uh, much like Frank Castle does. Right. But the way they get around that, it's he's always writing. In his war journal, mm-hmm. so that that right there, that's brilliant. Right. But you can't keep stealing that concept right. No, right, over right. and True. over and over. Right. You got to give these characters somebody to talk to. Yeah, a supporting cast. Yeah, which is ironic because Blade himself was initially created right. as a supporting, a supporting character, character yeah. Yeah. in Tomb of Dracula back in 1973, uh, uh, issue 10 mm-hmm. of Tomb of Dracula. And I think it's important to note that the creators were the great 
artist Gene Colan. Yeah. But the writer was Marv Wolfman, <sighs> who many fans out there will probably know as the writer of the New Teen Titans mm-hmm. in the early 80s. He is the man responsible for creating Cyborg. And I, I want to say Starfire. I think he created both. Yeah. But even more so than that, he's he's the guy that orchestrated the crisis on Infinite Earths mm-hmm. back in the 80s. But before any of his multiversal destruction that he caused at DC, he, he created Blade. Yeah, he was writing Tomb of Dracula. Yeah. And he creates Blade as a supporting character, but he knew that Blade could be its, his own character, his own thing. So he actually had to pull the character back so that it wouldn't outshine any of the other regular cast members of the book that he was writing. And he actually put the character away, kind of put him in a drawer for a little while as he, and and, and I'm paraphrasing his quote, matured as a writer Hmm. to figure out how to do Blade justice. Because back then, Blade's dialogue, he hated Blade's dialogue because it was stereotypical Marvel Black. Oh, okay. Because it's the early 70s. It's the early 70s. You know, they, they always talk like, Black people did in those black exploitation films, like Jive Turkey Sucker Fool. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah. Wow, right. really? Yeah. Wow, that's bad. So that's, that's he, pretty bad. He didn't <laughs> bring. That's pretty awful. It is. I can't see a vampire but it's the sign slayer of the times. being like, "Hey, Jive Turkey, eat his nut." <laughs> well, <laughs> like, wow, really? Well, come on, Luke <laughs> Cage. You're not used wrong. To say, I mean, you're not Sweet wrong. Christmas. He did. Yeah. What the hell does All that the time, mean? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> like true. But he does bring Blade back as a focal character, as a much well-rounded character and so not that just you no longer need Barbara Stanwyck to translate the jive. I'm really glad that they got rid of that for the movie. Because that would have been awkward. <laughs> that would have been really On the awkward. other hand, how fun would it have been to oh, see man. Wesley Snipes try to do that? That would have been funny. Right. That would have been a great comedy. You jive turkeys <laughs> always like to ice skate up here. Damn. <laughs> that would be fantastic. <laughs> Well, either way, I mean, the character really shot off in the 90s. Again, Hellstrom and the Night Stalkers and all that that 90s horror stuff that kind of came into play, that's where Blade started to pick up steam again, too. He showed up on the cartoon. Right, right. Was he in the episodes with Morbius? I think you said that they teamed up. Is that right? Is that what you just Uh, said? First he hunted him down. First he hunted him down. Okay. And then it was everybody chilled out. Oh, you're friendly. That's cool. Well, you're not friendly, but... He kind of is—he's kind of dealing with the same thing. Yeah, true. Oh, that's yeah. True. When you think like, about, right. never, especially the co- the cartoon versions, yeah. Yeah. Right. it was the "I'm a human, but I have vampire tendencies." Oh, but I'm a human too, and I have the vampire tendencies. Do we become best friends? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because later on, they do team up, and they're seen fighting uh, vampires. Uh, actually, okay. it's in the next season. I want to say when they do the Secret Wars. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. section of episodes well that's cool because in the comics i think that happened too that that blade hunted down morbius for a while the fact that they took those stories and kind of incorporated them into the cartoons is is very cool and the interesting thing about blade is is he like so many other characters especially these horror characters will have their peaks and valleys Mm -hmm. it's like they'll be really popular and then people will be like "Eh, i'm over it and then they go away for a while, and then they come back. Or, similarly, they'll have great creators working on them and doing amazing stuff, and then somebody will try to do something with them that is 
similar to Punisher being a hitman for the Angels. Or chopped up and then brought back to life. Or Frankenstein. Or Frankencastle. Yeah, please, yeah right. please let it go. I'm not talking <laughs> anymore, guys. Can we please just let it go? Okay. I, I have to admit here, even being a, a pseudo-Blade fan, I have to admit I have never seen Blade 2 or Blade Trinity. Oh, dude. But I You're hear, missing out on Blade 2. I've heard. But yes. see, I've heard conflicting reports on that. But either way, the same thing, where you've got two different cases of peaks and valleys. There are many people that say Blade 2 is amazing and 3 sucks. Yes. And I've talked to a lot of people that say that Blade 2 is terrible and Blade 3 is the one to watch. Those I people not... are stupid. <laughs> yeah, those people are wrong. No, I'm they're gonna, flat out I wrong. I will pull a pistol right now. <laughs> yeah, they're wrong. Not not an actual pistol, but pistol right, danger. I, right. I will pull a impression of pistol danger <laughs> and say those people are dumb. Well, I'll have to I'll have to take your word for it. I mean, I, I intend to get the box set at some point that has the three movies and then I guess the TV movie. No need. I'll describe but. it for you scene by scene. We'll act it Here, out. Yes. We'll oh. reenact it. I will. Mm-hmm. Because you ju- you just want to be Ryan Reynolds. No. No. Norman Reedus. I want to be Jessica. I want to. Oh, then I'll be Ryan Who Reynolds. Who doesn't? I think, I think you're talking about two because we'll, we'll we'll just do we'll do. No, he has to two see well. two. That's true. That's a good three one. Three is so bad. Ooh. Us. Acting it out will make it better. Can I be the Pomeranian? That would be fun. Yes, I'll be Triple H. <laughs> yeah, there's a vampire Pomeranian. No, wow. no, I don't want to be Triple H. I want to be Parker Posey. Posey. There you go. Who doesn't? Number three, John Constantine. Or technically, if you live in Great Britain, they will tell you you're saying it wrong. It is Constantine. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've heard that too. But. Here in the States, all the comic books, all the cartoons, movies, and TV series all refer to him as Constantine. So, for the sake of argument, we're going to call him John Constantine. And I'm sorry for any British British listeners who want to shove a pencil in their ears right it, now. It is it is an American show. Yeah, yes. We, we are an American show, and, and we just want to point out that it, we do know that we are mispronouncing it based on was he created here in america well yes well, he was then, then technically we can call him whatever you want to well call him. technically <laughs> being that he's a, from dc comics then yes technically then technically, that is an american comic we can series. call him whatever we want to call him. <laughs> <laughs> well john constantine uh, also known as the hellblazer is a working class magician a cult detective and a golden-tongued con man uh, he is well known for his scathing wit endless cynicism, ruthless cunning, and constant chain-smoking. A roguish counterculture antihero, Constantine is also a strident humanist, driven by a heartfelt desire to defend mankind from the forces of evil. He's like a bad guy, but a good guy. He's an asshole. Yeah, there you go. That's a better way to put it, yeah. He's a huge asshole. But he's not he's not necessarily a bad guy. He does good things, yeah. but he sometimes has to do bad things to do those good things. A very complex character, and ironically enough, really did not know who the character was until the Keanu Reeves Me, film. That's where I was gonna go. That was my first I I knew of Hellblazer, the comic, mm. and I knew what the character looked like. Which didn't look anything like Keanu Reeves no, right. in that film. Right. They had the chain smoking right. They had the yeah. chain smoking. And he but... wore occasionally a trench coat. 
Yeah, but it was black. black. Yeah, you're right. It was black. It yeah. was brown. Yeah. Yeah, but the movie yeah. is I, I, entertaining. All right, it is, yeah. it's good. It is entertaining now, for the after, cast that it has. Yeah, now after having since seen the movie and then gone back and learned about the character, I have issues with the adaptation, but yeah. because I right. saw the movie first, I enjoy it. Yeah, no, I yeah. had no frame of reference. I'm right first. there too, because I was like, oh, it's really enjoyable. And you find out, like, oh, Keanu's portrayal or however they had him written mm-hmm. is not Constantine, it's a different version of Constantine. Still good, though. Like, it was still enjoyable. But enjoyable. Now, but now right. you see him in, like, some of the cartoons or even, like, an Arrow, and you're like, Well, wow, the TV like, series, the short-lived TV too, series yeah, where you had Matt Ryan portray yeah. the character, that was a more faithful interpretation. Yeah. Minus the chain smoking. Well, minus right. the yeah, chain smoking can't, because can't, you can't put can't on TV now. On TV. Right. right. Only bad guys can you smoke, smoke yeah. on TV. Yeah. Yeah. So they get around it by he starts to smoke a cigarette, and somebody will come along and, and put, put it out. out. Or That's when a clutter. scene, when we come, cut to a scene where he's in, he's actually finishing a cigarette. Mm-hmm. Like putting it yeah. Okay. So yeah. there's workarounds to where he yeah. still is a smoker. Right. But we're just not seeing it constantly. Right. Uh, the character was uh, featured in DC Comics, but mostly in its imprint called Vertigo. And the character first appeared in the saga of Swamp Thing, yeah. uh, issue number 37, yeah. back in June of 1985. And was created by Alan Moore. Yep. Along with a whole bunch of others. And I'm sure I'm going to butcher some of these names, so I apologize. Uh, we've got Rick Veitch, Steve Bissett, John Totleben, Jamie Delano, and John Ridgway. John Constantine served as the lead character in a number of comic books, first starting with Hellblazer, which ran from 1988 to 2013. And I think it's important to point out that there is a lengthy run Mm -hmm. of that initial Hellblazer series where the snarkiness of the character and the, as Pistol would say, I guess, saltiness of the character is really attributed to Garth Ennis. Right, right. who, Who is one of the... Outside of Alan Moore, probably one of the most influential voices. If Alan Moore birthed John yeah. Constantine, Garth Ennis raised him. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Think of it that way. Then there was the series Constantine, which ran from 2013 to 2015. Then the next book he had was Constantine the Hellblazer, which ran from 2015 to 2016. And then he had just the Hellblazer, from 2016 to 2018. And those and, last few were DC proper. They were yeah. in DC. The Hellblazer, mm-hmm. the first one, not so much. Although I do think he shows up in a couple of panels in Crisis. Yeah. Besides but, the Sandman stuff and the characters really associated with the Sandman universe, yeah. Swamp Thing and John Constantine are the two characters yeah. that will really transcend the Vertigo line yeah. and be quote-unquote superheroes. Both members of the Justice League Dark. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. As a matter of fact, and I don't know how they're doing it, but DC has just recently created the Sandman universe. Yeah, it's almost like all of the books that would have normally been in In Vertigo Vertigo. are now part of a connected Hmm. Sandman. Yeah, and John Constantine is getting a new book. Yes. But he's... Also, still involved in things in the DC proper stuff. So, well, I'm I'm still a little behind on my rebirth stuff, but where things are right now, at the point that I'm reading, which is about a month or two behind, mm. he is dying. Oh, so I don't know if by the time that new series launches, he will have died in DC, freeing him up to be in the same. I, I don't know. Like I said, I'm behind. It'll be interesting to so, see how that goes. Um, yeah, 
It'll be interesting to see if he dies and then moves over to Vertigo's Sandman line, or if we just end up with two Constantines. True, true. Me personally, I think one of the best interpretations of the character also revolves around Matt Ryan, who portrayed the character on the short-lived TV series and then eventually was welcomed with open arms into the CW universe, the Arrow universe, and is now currently portraying Constantine on the show Legends of Tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But I really love his portrayal in the animated movie Constantine City of Demons. And I don't know if that's based off of one of the comic book stories, but just that story alone makes me interested to track down a handful of Constantine stories and give them a read. I've always wanted to get the trades of that initial, what is it, two to three hundred issue Vertigo run. Yeah, yeah. I've always wanted to to get those, and and I just, I haven't had time, and I think it's, what is it, something like 20 volumes or something? Something like that, yeah. Um, Yeah, but yeah, I've always been interested in tracking down all of it and reading the whole thing from the beginning. Well, if you're a Constantine fan, and, and a hardcore comic book Constantine fan, or Constantine, Reach out to us over at our website at mybigfatpolis.com and let us know what are your favorite stories involving the character. Number two, Hellboy. A well-meaning half-demon, Hellboy was summoned from hell to Earth as a baby by Nazi occultists and was discovered by the Allied forces. Amongst them, Professor Trevor Brutenholm who formed the United States Bureau for Paranormal Research and Defense. Great name. We're going to call it the BPRD. I like it. It's a lot shorter than I can actually pronounce all those words. (laughs) Or letters. In time, Hellboy grew to be a large, red-skinned adult working for the BPRD and for himself against dark forces, including Nazis, witches, and other things that go bump in the night. For me... My first exposure to Hellboy... I'm going to guess that's probably the same for all three of yeah, us. Yeah, the Ron Perlman, Ron Perlman film. Wrong. Oh, oh no, Robert. you? At the shop. I picked the one up. I didn't read it cover to cover, but... I so you had read through. some of the books before mm-hmm. you saw the movie? I was, yeah. Oh, okay. I, I was Cheeky monkey. Yeah, uh, well, I saw BPRD, and I was like, what does this stand for? Instead of reading the cover like an idiot, I just had to flip to the pages, because I was just like, what is this all about? And then I flipped the current, I was like, oh, Bureau, okay, I see how it's all kind of connected, and it was about Hellboy. It really is amazing, the world oh, that Mike built. Mignola created oh, surrounding Hellboy. And it's not just cast. about Hellboy. No, it's, no, it's, it's about the, all yeah. these other characters. And he's got like a team. Yeah, like there's, a, there's uh, well, there's the BPRD, right? But in the comic books, sure, Hellboy is a part of the BPRD, but a lot of his comic books is him solo, right? It's him on his own solo missions. It's it's more of it's more of yeah, I was a team player, but I'm better on my own. So then you've got other books that focus on some of the other characters, like Abe Sapien. I love that guy. the The character is awesome, but where Mignola is concerned. Uh, he created the character. It, it first showed up in San Diego Comic-Con Comics number two, which I didn't even know existed. And that was back in August of 1993. I cannot believe Hellboy has been around that long. Has been around that long. Does not feel that long. Uh, but uh, he's since appeared in various miniseries and one-shots and intercompany crossovers at Dark Horse. So much like many creators in the early 90s with the advent of Dark Horse comics and image and all of that, you know, Mignola 
was also very interested in the creator-owned aspect of comics that we're building right because at you, that if, time well if you go to one of the big two specifically mm-hmm. you're not going to own that you're not going to own anymore. that character you're going to shoehorn it yep. into a universe that you don't have a lot of control it, over yeah, no control yep. whatsoever even if the story you have written doesn't involve any of those characters yeah, yeah. they're still going to control aspects of it whereas over at image or dark horse at that time, that was your outlet without doing an underground small pub. Yeah. Even right. though Image and, and Dark Horse at the time were still very small pubs. They were, yeah. They were they were still bigger than most other small pubs in the early nineties. He wanted to do stuff that would have roots in folklore mm. and and the old school pulp magazine. The things that he grew yeah, up the stuff loving. That he yeah. likes. And and again, you know, the name has come up quite a few times in this episode already. But um, you know, also tapping into that Lovecraftian lore. Oh yeah. Um, there's a know, lot of there's Lovecraft, a lot of Lovecraft in, in all of it. In Mignola's work. Yeah. Yeah. Both visual and the storytelling. There were also two animated films that yeah. were very I supposed to be pretty good. I've yeah, never seen them. I'll let you borrow them someday. I do. I I own them. They actually came with mini comics too. Hmm. Tiny little mini graphic novel things. But the animated films also were done by the voice cast from the the two feature films. So oh, you had cool. Ron Perlman oh, that's oh, that's awesome. doing the voice of Hellboy. You had, I want to say, they came out in between one and two. So I want to say. Doug Jones did the voice for, for Abe, Abe Sapien, Sapien in the in the animated films because he is the voice in the second in film. the second film. Yeah. The first one is David Hyde Pierce. I believe. I believe so. so yeah. yeah. Which really boggles my mind because they they both actors sound exactly the same. So and Doug than, Jones is such a great actor, and he's now starting to get the recognition, the recognition he deserves, that he's yes, always deserved. Definitely, but most definitely, why didn't he then? He had already had a hell of a career by the time that first Hellboy came yeah. out. Yeah. And then I have not seen the the remake. The David Harbour version? Yeah, yeah I haven't bad. either. Oh, you saw it? No, but I heard it. You heard, heard, but then I've also heard other people really like it. Oh, Very I've much heard. like a popcorn movie. So, uh, again, I guess. Yeah, but I heard even amongst like fellow comic book fans that aren't movie critics were like, it's hot garbage. Now, True. see, I've, I've also so, heard I mean, that that's what it's, I'm saying. it's not bad, it's not good, it's just basically Hellboy 3 even though it's a restart, yeah. that they say that it really isn't all that different than the first two, which was kind of my issue in seeing the trailer. I thought, well, it doesn't look like you've really changed that much. Why didn't you just let Del Toro and Perlman make the third one? Yeah, but we've but, been waiting for them to make that third one, and things still yes, weren't coming. So yes. I get why it's, it's like, do we have to wait a decade for a third film? I, I don't think we, that we should have to. But again, just to play as devil's advocate... There are some people who think Batman versus Superman is a good movie as well. And there are those who say that none of the MCU are any good. Yeah, so uh, again, it really all boils down to your perspective. Before we get to our number one pick, I actually want to go around the table and talk about three of our personal favorites who are actually not on this list. For me, my personal favorite key character in a in a horror comic is cal mcdonald Hmm. and cal mcdonald was created by steve niles but he was actually created by steve niles in prose one of the reasons why he's not on the list is because didn't start off in a comic book 
but he was transferred to comic books because the character is just that damn cool. And, and ironically, that's where he's pretty much lived since then. Yeah, is is the comic book yeah. world? Yes. And Cal McDonald actually, Steve Niles created Cal McDonald as kind of a John Constantine knockoff, but only made him have worse personal problems. And that's saying something, <laughs> because John Constantine is a miserable human being. So just imagine Cal McDonald. And now Cal McDonald is a cynical, drug-abusing monster hunter. He's allied with a colony of ghouls and commonly hunts vampires, werewolves, and other such monsters. Uh, people with any kind of normality don't care to be associated with this type of anti-hero. He lives in a world where very early on he realized he had this ability to see other things. And not everybody has it, but lucky him, he did. Uh, he was actually a cop, but because his second sight, I guess if you want to call it, kept on interfering with his police work, he started trying to dull it with drugs and alcohol. And eventually that got him kicked off the force. He was, a, he was a cop in, I want to say, it was Washington, D.C. And then he moves to L.A., of course. Of course. City of Angels, and is basically the guy you go to if you've got a monster problem. And his first comic book appearance, at least for me, was the miniseries Criminal Macabre. I think that's where I first discovered him. So. Actually, it was you, yeah. Dr. Impact, were the gateway to this character. You're like... <laughs> Okay, so I've discovered this character. Because you were well, living out in L.A. at the time. I was time. living in L.A., and I discovered it because the person that I was dating at the time was a big fan of Steve Niles and Ben Templesmith yeah. from 30, 30 Days, Days of, of Night. Night and Dark Days. Yeah, And we had met Ben Templesmith and got a couple of sketches. There was past issues of Criminal Macabre that he was selling at his table. And I think that maybe the second... Cal McDonald miniseries had already come out by then, mm. so the Criminal Macabre stuff was kind of old at that point. But I remember picking them up, and then I think I found cheap copies somewhere, like a quarter bin or 50-cent bin, and I thought, you know, I'll bet, I'll bet Mr. X is going to love these. I did. It started my love affair with horror comics, because back then, really wasn't all that interested in horror comics. I'm like, how's a comic book going to scare me? Criminal Macabre didn't scare me, sure. but it was entertaining. And I have been following the character ever since. Sadly, recently, over the last, I think the last appearance of Cal McDonald was four, five years ago. So it's been a while since yes. Steve Niles has done anything with the character. But, uh, however, they have just announced in the latest uh, issue of previews there is a solicitation for a new Cal McDonald miniseries. And I forget what it's called. Mr. X's jaw is hanging on the floor. This um, is what I get for we, not picking up previews this past. We this always past pick oh. up previews every time we go out. And this time he did This didn't. time I didn't. And I it's just got a freaking criminal macabre. I had just assumed that you would have picked it up oh. at another shop later or something. So I didn't mention it. I'll just yes, steal yours. I'll, I'll take a picture of it and send it to you so you can Thank see. Thank you. <laughs> yes, there is, a, there is a new Cal McDonald. I forget what it's called. But I think it is solicited, I want to say, for December. Of 2019. Well, I'll be adding that to my big fat pull list. What about you, Smurfy? Who's your favorite character that's not on this list? I'm going to go with Rick Grimes, The Walking Dead. Rick 
Okay. Mother effing Grimes. Grimes. Uh, book started in 2003, hmm. as we all know. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man. 2003. Uh, I, I feel old every time we talk about <laughs> I, comics. It always just makes me feel old. It's like, but I was so young and vibrant when well, that happened. I remember when it came out. I was like, a black and white comic? This will never sell. This is stupid. Yeah. Who will buy this? I remember when it came out. We and discussed I, it yeah, in length. I, yeah. And I remember looking at it because I thought, ooh, a zombie comic book. What a great idea. I can't believe there hasn't really been anything like that. And I opened it, and I thought, That's black I'm and just white. not feeling black and yeah. white right now. That I was, have nothing against black and white comics, right, well, yeah, right. yeah. but I just, at that time, I was like, you know... There's so many other things that I want to get. I just, I'm not feeling it right now. Little Boy, did we I know, should have picked that up. Us yeah. two dum dums had our hands on number one. <laughs> we both did. Plural. Because there was a Plural. stack. Yeah, there was a stack. And they didn't sell right away. It took a long time yeah. for them to sell. Yeah. Eventually, I did go back and read them, but I pick them up by trade. Yeah. And Rick Grimes is not the Rick Grimes from the TV show in the comic book. Right, right. He is more battle hardened, he's more intense. I don't know. It's like everything about him. Well, I appreciate what the show did because oh, remember, when the show came out, the upswing of of sales where those, especially those trade paperbacks went you couldn't keep them on a shelf because oh, no. yeah. mm-hmm. people wanted to read about mm-hmm. the comic book because oh i want to have inside knowledge of what they're going to do with the tv show yep and i like how for the most part the tv show and the comic book have been separate right they were different paths right you you will have some bleed over story wise they'll have something from the comic book show up in the TV show, have it'll happen to a different character. Right, and they'll have the same characters and mm-hmm. same like locations. That's about it. But where the character of Rick Grimes is concerned, it's like, he's your hero. He Not even just a hero. I mean, sure, he's a cop. But it, it's all about wanting to find his family. Yep. So all, already, anybody, even if you don't have a family, you come from a family. So you get it. It's like, all right, you're going to search for your family. This is the zombie apocalypse. Holy crap. That we know. He didn't realize it well, at true. first. We knew it. Wake up from was, a coma. Yeah, and he's wandering around like, what's going on? Where is crap, everybody? The dead are everywhere. Right. And they're hungry. Right. The comic is over. Mm-hmm. And I know you have not read the final trade. Nope. But you already know one yep. of the big things that does happen in the final storyline of the comic book. Yep. It's been long enough, so I'm going to say, spoiler warning, skip ahead about two minutes, Rick Grimes is killed off in the comic book. But he's killed off... I kind of thought that that's where it was going. Two issues before the end. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, that's, that's kind of the... Which the is the surprising thing, right. because if you listen to Robert Kirkman, you know, on one hand he'll say, it's always been Rick's story, and... When Rick's gone, the story is over. But there's so many other characters, especially right. his son, Carl, because in the comic book, Carl lives. Oh, Because okay. Carl's oh, actually a badass in the comic book. Well, right. He's, he is a badass in the, the comic book. TV show. So a lot of people, because then Robert Kirkman would go, well, the story doesn't revolve around Rick. It involves Rick. It doesn't revolve around him anymore. And it could survive even without Rick. Right. But then, you know. Two issues, and it may not even be two issues. It might have been one issue later, mm-hmm. character's dead, issue later, book is over. Now, of course, it was a double-sized issue where you actually jump into the future and you see mm-hmm. Carl older with a family, and you actually see how the world has thats cool turned into something Better. almost akin to uh, Wild West. No, mm-hmm. not Wild West, 
but oh. the old west. Oh, okay, okay, you that know, makes sense. Trains though. are being utilized, and travel between provinces is is heavy, and hmm. everybody has a job, and it's dirt, still dirt roads and things like that. But very yeah. One of these days, I really need to. I only made it through like the the fourth trade. I've think, got them all. Trade. No, you don't. I think I have three of yours <laughs> that I've been borrowing for about four years. <laughs> Well, like <laughs> the plot thickens. <laughs> Definitely a good choice for your favorite character, Smurfy. Dr. Impact, who you got? Well, it's hard for me to pick a favorite. Somebody who's so, not on this list. Right. So I'm picking someone that's not on this list. I'm picking a character that was very influential to me, mm, okay. but not through the comics, even though the character starts in the comics. Okay. I'm picking The Crow. Ooh. Because that film came out when I was, I think, like a freshman or sophomore in mm-hmm. high school, and it just blew my little world <laughs> apart. Um, Don't kill now, me. I've yet to see the whole thing yet. Oh, wow. you are yeah. in for um, an amazing man. treat. That movie, the, when that movie came out, remember I was a little younger, the only yeah, way to see are. it mm-hmm. was I had to borrow it from a buddy's brother who didn't mm. know that we borrowed it from him. And so we'd be like, he's gone working, we'd try to pop it in and watch it, get about halfway through, like, crap, so I'm Gotta take it out. I, I it. watch it every we October. To, we weren't supposed to be watching it. Parents what? wouldn't really let me watch it. Couldn't find it when I got older. So now it's just a matter of like I just gotta find it. I remember it blew my mind, and I I love Ernie Hudson in Ghostbusters. I I love him in you know everything I see him in. But it's an to underrated me, performance in yeah, that movie. To wow, me, yeah. that is the Ernie Hudson performance. Mm. That is the movie that made me go, I want to work with that man. Yeah. But the the whole movie just completely changed my whole world. I mean, I, I saw it maybe two or three times in the theaters. I, like I said, I watch it every October. I listen to that soundtrack on repeat. But I was also that that high school nerd who did theater and dressed in black and had... I, I mean, I couldn't afford Doc Martens, but um, <laughs> but I had some sort of knockoff of Doc Martin, you Mark know. Martins. And I had long, you know, long hair, and I wore black trench coats or long black coats, or you know, I because I was the the nerdy theater kid, and of course, we all gravitated towards things like The Crow, like nobody's business. But um, it's not a good day to be a bad guy. <laughs> you know, what's interesting though is I I had a friend that I was in school with at that time. He's a couple of years older than me. He was a real big fan of the comic, and I remember borrowing the comic from him after seeing the film. And it's it's surprising how similar mm. the comic is to the movie, at least that initial story. Now, I've right. never looked at any of the—there have been so many countless different spinoffs and, and follow-up miniseries, but that, that initial miniseries from, like, 1989, 1990— yeah. It's pretty amazing. You know, he is Eric Draven. He is killed along with his girlfriend at the time, only instead of in their apartment, it is on the road. Oh, okay. And they're kind of, uh, I think their car breaks down, if I remember correctly, and they're they're attacked by um, all the, you know, all the same characters, um, Top Dollar and, um, God, I'm trying to now remember all the characters' names in the movie. T-Bird and Fun Boy and, you know, all those characters, they're in it, but they're all attacking and, and they end up paralyzing him and he's forced to lay there oh. and watch as they rape his his God, girlfriend and then shoot her in the head. And then she's decreed DOA and he dies, I think, at the hospital. 
And just like the movie, the crow brings him back, and it's the same same thing, you know. And the little girl is in it. Yeah, she is in it. Her name is Sherry instead of Sarah, and she is not a little girl that they knew. Mm. He meets her after he has become the crow. Well, I get the so the there's differences yeah, there's for some there's a some movie changes. adaptation. Right, right. The other major difference is that Michael Wincott's character of Top Dollar, yeah, is not the main villain of the book, huh. and I forget who plays T Bird in the movie, but T-Bird is the main character. Now, huh. in the movie, T-Bird, if I remember correctly, I think T-Bird might be killed in the car that gets pushed off the, the river. I, I can't recall now in this very moment, but either way, he's not the primary villain in the movie like he is in the comic. Hmm. But okay. it's, it's, fairly, it's fairly similar. It's fairly close, and I just I think the concept is just incredibly cool. I'm surprised that none of the other films have been able to kind of capture that magic. Yeah. Um, plus, you know, there's that whole unfortunate story with Brandon Lee. Brandon Lee, yeah. You know, I think it, my personal opinion is when the studio folk and the writers that they hire, if they actually go and look at the source material and use mm -hmm. the source material, I think you find a better product will be produced. Well, and not only that, but in a case like this... Uh, something that I learned recently and I, did, I was not aware of is that the creator of The Crow, James Obar, mm -hmm. created the character and created the book as a means of some sort of cathartic dealing that he needed to go through oh. after losing his girlfriend wow. in a car accident to a drunk driver. So obviously... Not drug lords. We're not, you know, it's right. not, not as dark as as the crow. But use the but pain he used of, the pain yeah. of that that emotion that just drove into the the book, and so much of that is used in the film. So that same emotion runs through when you don't have that emotion driving through it. There's just no way that it can compete, which is unfortunate. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think for me, I think you know, in a case like this, it's got to be the crow. It's it's too influential to me. Number one, Spawn. Now we're talking. This character had to be the number one on our list because it has now reached iconic status. As of the recording of this episode, Spawn 301 is almost on the shelves, probably on the shelves by the time you're listening to this, which makes it the longest running creative owned comic in history. All time. All time. Beating out by one issue, the the, the previous champion, Cerebus. You know, the other thing that nobody ever really talks about that it also holds currently, and it has held this now for a couple of years, but it just gets more impressive as it passes 300. Mm is that it is the longest currently running consistent comic. Now, yes, yeah. action comics, detective comics, yes, they're over issue 1,000. But they stopped. They stopped. And then started over with a new number one and then reverted the numbering back. Yeah. So it is technically a new volume, whereas Spawn has never, it's never stopped. stopped. It's never stopped. Out of all, every major book in Marvel and DC that have been around for 40, 50, 60, 70 years, at some point in time, they have stopped and started over, yeah. many of them, multiple times. Right. 
Spawn has not. Spawn, to me, because I'm such a kid of the 90s, still seems like the new kid on the block. And yet, he is the one who has the longest-running, uninterrupted book Spawn, definitely King of the Hill. Yes. And if you don't know the story of Spawn, come on. (laughs) Covert assassin Al Simmons is betrayed by the people he works for. And because he's done some really bad things in his life, is sent to hell. Now, of course, nobody wants to be in hell. So he actually makes a deal with, say, well, Malbolgia. <laughs> Malbolgia, yeah. Because we, wa- we don't want to do Satan. Right. He makes a deal with Malbolgia to be his hell spawn, and he'll be sent back to Earth. To lead his army. Well, the problem is, is that it doesn't happen, like, immediately. And he's also... A walking corpse. Right. So the life he knew, the love he knew... Gone. It's all moved on. And now Al Simmons, as the Hellspawn, has to deal with living with one foot in the light and one foot in the darkness. Yep. Now, if that doesn't raise the hairs on the back of your neck with awesomeness, I don't know what we got to do, people. (laughs) Do not take that horrible movie as your only interpretation and exposure to Spawn. Now you're talking about the live action movie. The, there's uh, only Michael, one movie. Michael the live, and there Martin, are the Martin HBO Sheen. animated. That, that's an animated that's, series. Which is an animated series, but they have been compiled together, and you can get them on two DVDs. Mm-hmm. Uh, or stream where, through HBO. Right. Yeah. Where they are edited together as a film. Oh, really? Yes. See, now and I they know were that. released on DVD that way and VHS, I oh. want to say. So yes, well, that makes, it was that, that's it, it was better. a TV series, but you can watch it. You can get a hold of it now as an animated film, and those are actually quite good. Mm. Oh yeah, no, I agree. I, I watched those as they aired because it was one of the few times that we the the family actually had oh. HBO at the time, and Spawn was voiced by Keith David, yep. who just has the perfect voice perfect for that voice. character. Yep. Uh, for any of our other. Animation fans, Keith David was also the voice of Goliath on oh, Gargoyles. He's got a great voice. Yes. And he's been in a whole bunch of other horror yes. horror properties as mm-hmm. well. The story of how Spawn's spawning happened is one that any independent comic book lover should know. Mm-hmm. But in a nutshell, for those of you who don't, there were a number of artists and writers, but mostly artists, that worked for Marvel, mm-hmm. who felt that their talents were not being utilized correctly. Because you got to remember, this is the 90s. This is the early 90s. Artists were the thing. Yes. They were the king they of were. the comics industry. Screw who you got writing it. If it's not drawn by one of the big shots, nobody cares. I mean, these guys, uh, Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld, had television commercials. Now, it was yeah. for Levi, and they were cross-promoting X-Force number one and X-Men number one. Yeah. But they were on commercials. <laughs> That's yeah. how big these artists were rock at this stars. time. They were rock stars. Rock stars. Yeah. Todd McFarlane was no different either. He did Spider-Man all those amazing poses. He was one yep. of the first guys to put Spider-Man he, in those cool poses yeah. on the cover. He did that, that great, uh, there were four or five different covers, and I have the two, I have the one, the silver one and the gold one, but the Spider-Man number one 
of the torment story. He created which, the you know, spaghetti great, webbing. Yeah, yes, yeah, which yes, had that great yes. webbing. Yep, yeah. exactly. That's that's like his the signature. Everybody knows him from doing the spaghetti webbing and introducing Venom. Yes. Yep. The yes. the classic look of the character of Venom. But even before then, he was doing Incredible Hulk. Yep. That's where that's my exposure where where the comic books are are from from his early years is he was doing Incredible Hulk while Peter David was writing it. And yet again, Peter David, you know, comic book writer but also screenwriter, but the artist is getting mm-hmm. all of the attention. Mm-hmm. So a handful of these artists left and they decided, well, we're going to take the ball and we're going to go over here and play. Mm-hmm. They create Image Comics, completely creator-owned. You do not have to worry about some company controlling your creation. You get to reap all the benefits of anything and everything you create through this company. And in May of 1992, Image Comics released Spawn Number 1. I still remember being a kid, 10, 11 years old, whatever, however old I was then, we were at a supermarket. And I want to say that the supermarket, they still had, you know, comics on the on the magazine racks in there. And my brother and I were in there, and they had some from a few months prior, plus whatever was most current. And I want to say that in that trip to that supermarket, we got Spider-Man 2099 number one, which was still <laughs> sitting there on the shelf, and Spawn number one. There you go. And um, I still have that that book to this day yeah i was hooked immediately i mean i read the first 20 25 issues something like that of spawn and um you know i've recently jumped back in with issue 300 yeah took a little bit of trying to figure out what was going on i've missed a few things over 275 (laughs) issues but uh yeah it was it was amazing you have to give todd mcfarlane credit for sticking the landing yeah I mean, he, he took the talent that he had, his artistic talent, and he was able to build, not only help build Image Comics, which is now up there with mm-hmm. the big two. So yep. it's the big three. It's Marvel, it's DC, and it's Image. Mm-hmm. But then also step to the side and create his own business. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what else to say. Spawn will go down in history, not just comic book history, but history, just like characters like Superman, oh, yeah. Batman, Spider-Man, and Captain America. Yeah. You will have Spawn standing right there alongside With them. his cape of awesome. 10 acres yeah. long. Yeah. <laughs> Billowing in the... There's no wind. Yeah. The chains <laughs> are moving it, man. But it's... Bo- yeah. Oh, the chains. That's right. The chains are moving. The chains are alive. Now, we know that there are a ton of other characters from horror comics that were not on this list. And we want to know the characters that you think we should have included on this list. Now, remember, the rules are they got to start off in comic books. Head on over to our website at mybigfatpolllist.com and tell us the characters that you would have put on your top 10 key characters in horror comics well that's our list folks 10 may seem like a short number but the content inside was epic and we're glad that you got to experience it with us until next time i am mr x 
I'm Smurfy. And I am Dr. Impact. And we'll see you next time. That's our show, folks. Tell your friends and family about our program. What he means is you and everyone you know should subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on every app possible. Want to help support the show? Visit our Patreon page. We have a variety of incentives at multiple tiers, sure to satisfy any and all hardcore geeks. You can also follow us on social media where we post weekly comic pics, breaking news stories, and glimpses into our everyday geek lives. Until next time, keep your turtle shells waxed. (laughs) Your power rings charged. And your proton packs primed. Ooh, what's this do? No, Smurfy! Not the containment unit! Werewolf by night. Okay, take that again. again. (laughs) Damn it. You are so Missouri. (laughs) Wow, really? He does the same. Werewolf by night. You do the same thing, and it's adorable. And he, well, there have been past episodes of horror where he'll, you, you can definitely hear the woof and not wolf. Oh. Oh, oh. I said were, werewolf. You said werewolf. Oh, my God. I've been saying it wrong my entire life. I didn't even catch not, it. I didn't oh, either. I, I was laughing because you didn't say the number. I thought that's what you were talking about. Oh, <laughs> I didn't say the number. <laughs> so it's number eight. So number eight, werewolf by night, but now I have to get rid of that pause. <laughs> Damn it. That's <laughs> so close. You want to say something. I know you do. Go ahead. Do it. I was going to do like, I'm a moron. <laughs> that's a, Ralph that's, Ligon, Ralph Ligon, my is, inner Ralph Wiggum keeps channeling me. I gotta that's get it making out. it into the episode. Yeah, I gotta, just, I gotta, just so you know, that's making it into the episode. My inner Ralph Wiggum this whole time. It's really bad. It's going to be horrible.